Amen? Or let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can laugh and we can have, find joy in the journey here, Lord, and we can experience laughter even in church on a Sunday morning. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help each person that's here this year in 2019 find joy in the journey, Lord, that they would rejoice in you, that they would find the humorous moments of life, and that they would uh, just look to you to be changed and transformed and have a cheerful disposition as we go through this year of 2019. It doesn't matter, Lord, what's happening around us. It doesn't matter what's happening in politics or in Washington, D.C. or overseas or what's happening in the inner city of Chicago with crime or whatever, Lord. We know that in you we can find joy in the journey. And so, Lord, I pray that each person would discover that this year. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, you ventured out in the cold. It's good to see you here. I'm sure we got a lot of people online today watching us. But here we're going to be talking and continuing to be talking about finding your joy in the journey. And, and I don't know about you, but I love Michael Jr. How many have ever heard of Michael Jr. before? Raise your hand. I think he's hilarious. And so, you know, I grabbed some of his clips and we clipped them together so you could get some of uh, uh, his, uh, his humor which I think we need today in our society. Well, just a reminder, as we're going through our series, Joy in the Journey, we're kind of highlighting two main scripture verses. Uh, and the first one is Romans 15, 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then also, as we are exploring the book of Philippians, we're in chapter 3 today, uh, but our key verse for the entire book, I think, of Philippians is 4.4, which goes along with our series, says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, says the Apostle Paul, rejoice. And I just want to remind you, the book of Philippians is an interesting book because Paul writes this book under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's been through all kinds of what you would say hardships in life. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been, uh, he's been, he's looking at losing his life at this point in his, his life because this could be a death sentence if he's found guilty. We know it goes on and we know that actually Paul does end up losing his life and being martyred for the sake of Christ. But he's been stoned. He's been bitten. He's, he's been beaten. He's been in prison before, by the way. And by the way, if you go back to the birth of the church in Philippi, you got to be reminded of how that church started. Paul was sent there by the Lord. He had a vision that he needed to go to Macedonia. The vision was from Jesus. You can look at that in the book of Acts. And he went, and when he went there, um, they were doing ministry and praying for people, and this demon-possessed girl come along, and long story short, she was causing issues. Paul cast out a demon out of her. She got set free. The family who owned the slave was very upset because she had been delivered by this demon. I guess this demon made them money. I don't know. And long story short, so they were mad, and then they got mad at Paul, and they throw Paul and his partner into jail. They beat him and throw him into jail. And in the middle of the night, they start to sing and rejoice because they've been beaten for the sake of Jesus Christ and for preaching his word. As they're rejoicing and singing in the jail that night, the, all of a sudden there's an earthquake and the doors pop open and their chains pop off and the jailer comes in and he's ready to commit suicide because in those days, if you lost a prisoner, especially your entire prison, guess what happened to you? You were executed. So he's going to commit suicide. Paul stops him from doing that. Long story short, his whole family comes. They meet with Paul. They have a service. The jailer's entire family gets saved. And so bursts this new church 
in Philippi. We also know that Lydia was a part of this church too because she held a prayer meeting down by the riverside of Philippi. And, and long story short, all these people come together and form this church, uh, in, uh, in, in, which is referenced in the book of Philippians. And it's interesting because as Paul's in prison, he's writing them a letter, and about 18 times in this book, he says, rejoice, be joyful, be happy, find the humor in life, look to Jesus, give him the glory and praise, and you can go over and over and over again, and you just look and you think to yourself, if this book is really amazing, how do you find joy in a journey when you're under arrest, when you look like you might lose your life, when things haven't been the best in your life, and you've been shipwrecked, and you've been a You've been lost at sea. You've been beaten. And all these things that have happened to Paul, and yet Paul is saying that you can still find joy in the journey no matter what happens to you in life. And so that's what we've been exploring here over the last few weeks as we are progressing through this new year of 2019. And I love what Chuck Swindoll said, and he wrote a great book. If you get a chance, read it called Laugh Again. It says, I know of no greater need today than the need for joy, unexplainable, contagious joy, outrageous joy. And I think that is so true for the church today. Would you agree with me? Say amen. We need joy. We need to have joy in the journey. We need to study about joy in scripture. We need to look at verses which speak of joy. We need to build an understanding of how to put ourselves in the position this year to find joy in the journey of life. And scripture reveals it is possible. The apostle Paul teaches us it can be done. Look at my life, basically, he says, and I got joy. I can rejoice no matter what happens to me. I can rejoice if I'm here, and I can rejoice if I'm in heaven and I meet Jesus face to face, because, by the way, that's far better anyways. And, you know, and, and I just want to challenge us to really be thinking about, are we cultivating joy in the journey of life this year? And in my first sermon that I preached, I talked about one of the ways that we find joy is by making sure we develop right relationships. First relationship we need to develop is a relationship with God. Can you say amen to that? The second relationship we need to develop is a relationship with others. We need to have friends. We need to connect with each other because friends help us laugh. I don't know about you. I, I, do you laugh with the, with the people at your work that you don't even know or do you laugh with your friends? I laugh with my friends. I mean, I hang out with some pastors, and we laugh at ourselves. We laugh, we laugh, we laugh at our churches, by the way. <laughs> I read this book years ago. I've never forgot this book. I think I laugh for days. The book was written by a pastor who had retired, and he named the book Things I Couldn't Say as a Pastor. And he wrote this whole book about kind of the humorous side to church, Right? And in, in the book, he says, he says, one of my funniest funerals was this. Then he went on to tell the story that it was a snowy day, and they, they, they were doing the burial service, and they had to go down a hill. And so there were six pallbearers, and the person who had passed away was rather large. And as they were going down the hill in the snow, guess what happened? The guys lost their footing, and they all kind of fell down, and, and then the coffin started to slide on its own, just like a sled wet. And then you're watching these pallbearers trying to grab a hold of this coffin from going down the hill, and, and they finally got it, and he says, and they, we finally got it into the service, and he said, everybody's trying not to laugh too much, and you know, this is a somber moment, and he says, and we're all standing there, and he says, 
So it's snowing, and they, they had put up a tent because it was snowing, and, and on the edge of it, all the pallbearers who had, who had finally caught a hold of this coffin and got it and got it where it needed to be were standing there, and then a little kid went up and hit one of the poles, and then all of a sudden, all this snow fell off the tent onto all the pallbearers, just on top of their heads. And he says, and he says, it was hilarious. And he said, and we just all started laughing. <laughs> so we did, because it's like, this is really a humorous funeral, you know. So I don't know about you, but I want to find joy in the journey, amen? I want to find places to laugh, and we can laugh at church and have fun at church and at school. And we can learn to find what Paul was talking about. And so find joy in a relationship with God Almighty and find joy in laughter with one another. But also I talked in sermon two about finding joy in unity and humility. Because when you have unity, you have, you have I think you have joy, amen? I don't know about you, but any place I've been where there's disunity, is there a lot of joy? A lot of laughing going on? I don't think so, because in disunity, there's division, dissension, maybe bitterness, maybe hatred, maybe hurt feelings. There's not a whole lot of laughter going on. So we need to cultivate joy by making sure that we're unified and that we walk with a spirit of humility, because when we walk with a spirit of humility, we consider others better than ourselves. And that's what Paul talked about in chapter 2 of Philippians. He said in verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. If we do this, if we cultivate unity, we're going to laugh more. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have the joy that we're seeking in the journey. Well, ch turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 today. Uh, all right, we're going to basically, the key verse that I picked out of this chapter is verse 1, but we are going to read the chapter so you can follow along with me in your Bible in chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in front of you under the seat in front of you, but Listen to what he says here in chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And I want to pause there for a moment. Paul says that they need to rejoice. It doesn't matter what's going on around them or what's going on around Paul. They need to rejoice. They need to find happiness. They need to pursue happiness. They need to pursue joy. And he says to me, he knows he's repeating this message over and over and over again in this letter, he said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Notice he says, being able to rejoice, being able to find joy in a journey is a safeguard. It is a safeguard for your soul, is a safeguard for your mind, is a safeguard for your heart, it's a safeguard for your spirit, it's a safeguard for your church if you can learn to find joy in the journey. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do, evil th who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And by the way, Paul is going to go on in a minute here and give his personal resume. And he goes on to say, he goes, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, according to Jewish law, of the people of Israel, uh, connected to God's people, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. 
But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then you can read on there, but he goes on to talk about in verse 19, he goes that uh, their destiny, and he's talking about the people of the world, he's talking about religious people who put who put their faith in the flesh or earthly means to be connected with God. He says it's all basically uh, for naught. He had been in this position. He's not doing that anymore, but he discovered faith. And then he says in verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so there we have Philippians chapter three. And, 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 I, and I wanna come back to another verse in there. So we looked at verse one, but verse seven through eight says, but whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he goes, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I don't know about you, but right in this moment, this is what kind of hit me when I read this. Have you ever heard of what a P&L statement is? How many business people we got? What's a P&L statement? Profit and loss. We were talking about it this week, Issa and I in her business class. Profit and loss. And at the end of the year, you find out all kinds of businesses are doing P&Ls. They're doing a profit and loss statement. They're presented to their board members and they're show them, you know, where the profit is, where the loss is, where the money came in, where the money went out, how much they made bottom line. I mean, we kind of, in a sense, do that as a church. We, we do a financial statement that we present at our members meeting and everybody gets to see how much money came into Christian Hills Church and Christian Hills School. And they get to see the whole picture of where our finances look. And, and you could say there's kind of a profit and loss. Now, we are a nonprofit organization. Everybody say amen to that, right? So we don't really have profits. Do you get that? If we have profits, we're investing back into people or the company or outreach or ministry or whatever. And so long story short, so we have these things called profit and loss, which basically is a financial statement showing if they've made a profit or if they've lost money. And, and, but it kind of shows the whole breakdown of where there's a profit, where there's a loss, where money came out and money went out. And, and so the whole idea behind a P&L is, is basically Paul kind of takes that kind of that concept here and he uses that business-like model to kind of talk about spiritual things. And he says in the spiritual realm, there is basically a P&L statement as well. 
there's a profit and a loss with each life that is lived. And, and he says, basically, for himself, I know what it means to have profit, but I also know what it means to have loss because there is always a profit and loss no matter if you're earthly-minded or if you're heavenly-minded. There is a profit and a loss thing there. There is a comparison that goes with each of them. He kind of shares that a little bit in our text today, and he challenges us to think about kind of where we're at because he kind of uses his own resume. By the way, the world will basically judge you by your resume. How many knew that? If you're going to go get a job, you got to give them what? An earthly resume, right? And then on this earthly resume, you have all these things that kind of lay out your background, what you did, your education, maybe your experience, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so, you know, everybody seems to look at other people in regards to their resume. And Paul kind of throws that out there in this chapter. And he says, hey, you know, because he's telling this church to be aware of the legalistic people who believe that the only way that you're going to get to heaven is if you follow their fleshly, earthly, religious ways. And he's referring to the Pharisees. He's referring to the religious uh, people that uh, the religious Jews of the day that would say that you get to heaven by works and you, know, you got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. You got to do that. And Paul says, don't listen to those people. He says, the reason you don't listen to their people is they're earthly-minded. They are not heavenly-minded. Their citizenship isn't in heaven. Their citizenship is here. It's all about what they can do. It's all about their works. It's all about fleshly ways to get in connection with God. And by the way, you cannot make a way for yourself to connect with God. You have to go through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our connection to God. I don't make myself good enough to make my own connection with God. I need to go through Jesus, who's my intermediary, who's a person who died on the cross for me. And Paul's saying, don't listen to those people. But he goes on to say, but hey, if, I've got, if I can brag about anything, you want to hear my resume? You want to hear my earthly resume? It looks really good in the, in the Jewish religious realm. And he says, man, I had it all. I, I had my doctorate degree. I was a prominent person within uh, the Jewish religious sect. You know, I was well-known, I was well-respected, I got to speak in the synagogue. You know, I, I was that, that person. I came from the right lineage, I came from the right line. You know, I'm connected all the way back to Jesus and, and a connection through heritage. All these things, and Paul's saying, man, I have the perfect resume, but guess what? My whole resume was wrong. The whole emphasis of what I was doing was wrong. And by the way, what he's kind of saying underlying here is, if you're looking for joy in a journey, if you're looking to be able to rejoice in no matter what happens to you, you have to have a right perspective on life. You have to have a heavenly mindset, understanding that your citizenship is in heaven. It is not here in this earth. And if you have an earthly mindset like these guys do, guess what? You're not going to have joy. You're not going to find... I want to ask you a question. Anybody that have, has ever ran into a person who is very religious and legalistic, are they happy people? Are they happy? Do you see them laughing? Are they happy people? I don't know about you, but it seems like all the ones I meet like that, they're grumpy old Christians, aren't they? Because they don't have any joy. Now, when, what Paul is trying to say here is those who have an earthly mindset will look at a person through the eyes of their resume to determine their potential profit and loss margin. And he goes on to say, but you know what? God looks at things differently. He doesn't look at the earthly mindset as beneficial or the way that we should live our life. He looks at our life through the eyes of how we should be living our life heavenly. So he goes on to talk about 
He references, like I said, his own personal resume, but he talks to the point that he says, look, we have to have the right mindset if we really want to find and be able to rejoice and have joy and no matter what happens to us. So I, I want to pull some points that he kind of shares here, and, and I also want to pull some points out of other scripture, but here is kind of what an earthly mindset looks at. Number one is, an earthly mindset looks at people through the eyes of their resume. We talked about that. It looks about whether they have a PhD. Now, you know, most of you know that, you know, I, I went to college for like 10 years. So I, I got a whole lot of college behind me. But, you know, that doesn't determine my success with God. Can you say amen to that? That has nothing to do with it. See, that's what drove the Pharisees and the religious leaders crazy about Jesus and his disciples. They didn't have all the accolades at the end of their name that they went to this school or that school or they studied under this person or that person or they had a degree from this place or that place. You know, in God's eyes, education is not what will connect you with him. Can you say amen to that? Now, I'm not saying education's bad. I love my education. My wife would tell you if I had the money, I'd probably go to school full-time even today. I'd still be going to school, but it took me 10 years to pay for my schooling. So when I paid it off, I, I was glad I was out of debt. Amen? And I know school debt is huge today, and I, I believe in education, but I think we need to do a little bit wiser today in our society. So I'm not preaching against education. I'm preaching against if we use that education and then this knowledge that we get leads us away from God. And Paul said basically that what he learned actually ended up leading him away from God. Jesus said that same thing to the Pharisees, that you get these converts and you lead them closer to hell and further away from heaven. And then you hear these other comments as well too, comments like, you know, when they're criticizing Jesus, like, well, you know, who's he and where's he from? You know, I didn't see him going to the school here. I didn't see him part of this great Jewish school. Or you look at these, these guys are fishermen. What do they know? But yet they were more connected to God than the religious people who thought they were more connected because they had the degree. So fleshly looks at people's resume. Secondly, the earthy mindset will look at life through their fleshly desires. What does it mean to look at life through their fleshly desires? Well, Paul says, you know, uh, kind of the way they do this is people who look at their life through fleshly desires kind of do this. Their God is their stomach. You know, it's kind of an interesting phrase if you think about it. He goes on to say that, you know, their God is their stomach, and that's what they live for. And, and I don't know about you, but, you know, I kind of look around, and I get his point. It's fleshly things drive you more than anything else. You got that? Fleshly things are what drive them. It's not earthly things. It's fleshly things, things like, you know, uh, greed and things like, all right, uh, uh, you know, I can do this, therefore I'm going to make my own way into heaven because I'm so good, or I'm, I'm going to give this much money to charity, and because I give that much money to charity, I'm going to get to heaven. It doesn't work that way. See, we have to understand what we're doing. See, earthly mindset is always focused on its selfish, fleshly wants and lusts. We see something, we want it. Most people want it now, by the way. If I don't get it, I cry and complain until I do. But the truth is, for example, people will sacrifice the following to get something that they think is beneficial. For example, they will abort their children to have him or her not interfere with their personal career or their daily routine or their life. To them, they perceive that the career is more profitable than the child. You see how crazy that is? But you know, by the way, most abortions, over 90% of all abortions in America today are done for selfish reasons. They are not done for what you usually hear Trump, like rape or incest or something like that. 
most abortions, 90% are done because somehow or another that baby is going to interfere with that person's life. So they perceive the abortion is more profitable than keeping the child. How many know that is such a messed up philosophy of life? That a human being, you know, it's more profitable to get rid of them than to have that child. But that's their mindset. That's the mindset of the flesh. Uh, people will work long hours, profit, and neglect their children, the loss. Today, we have many kids who grew up in an absentee parental home. Many call this the MTV generation because they were raised by their TVs. Do you see what I mean? So the profit is we work, and the more we work, the better off we're going to be. That's profitable. But in the process of doing that, we lose. Our children lose time with their parents. And I don't know about you, but that's the fleshly mindset that says that's okay. And I don't know about you, but I think there's a balance in that as well. My, my wife has always worked, but we've always had time for our kids. And I know that you can balance it with the help of the Lord. But you've got to have that proper balance. Or how about this? They will seek to do their own things, which is the profit, because whatever I want to do is what I want to do, and I want to do it now. And in turn, sacrifice relationships with others, the loss. Result is, we have a lot of lonely people today who live among thousands. Their P&L statement of their life reveals why they're lonely, why they're all by themselves at the end of life. It is because of the choices they made, which they thought was a profit, but ended up being a loss to their life. I was watching a commercial last night on TV, and, and I can't even remember what the commercial was about other than this. It, oh, it was about Hyundai. It was about a Hyundai being big enough to move out of a house when the person you moved into is not what you thought he was. And so there's this guy inside the apartment, and he has one of those, you know, reality things on, you know, that go over your face, and he's playing these reality games, and this girl and her girlfriends move the entire apartment out while he's playing games all day. And then when he finally realizes, when he takes off the, the game that he's playing, that he's been playing all day, he, he looks around, and she's gone, and there she is driving down the road with her car full of all of her stuff, realizing she made a huge mistake. See, a lot of people don't get it. They don't realize that a fleshly, earthly mindset is, it, it may have a temporary profit, you may think, but in the long run, there's a loss connected to it. That's why Paul says to them that when I did all this stuff, man, I thought all this stuff was going to profit me in my relationship with God, but in reality, it drove me further away from God. And that was a huge loss. But he said, but when I found Christ, then I found the profitable thing that I need, the thing that I need more than anything else. I am not saved by works. I am saved by faith in Christ Jesus. So there's some other, too. The earthly mindset is centered on earthly pleasure or happiness. The earthly mindset is set on materialism, how much stuff I have, or the biggest car. Some people buy very expensive cars or more than one car or all kinds of toys. And then the thing is they got to work more. And the more you work, how does that work? The more time you got to work to pay for what you have, the less time you have to enjoy it. Amen? And some people do that in their life, and they think that's what life's all about. And then lastly, the earthly mindset is holding on to money for joy. A lot of people do this. It's all about, you know, banking money, having this big nest egg all set together. And yet in the end, it's sad how many people die with all this money in the bank, and they've never used it. But they think this profit is there, and they don't understand the loss. You know what I told my mom? She, she one day called me up and said, hey, uh, Mike, I, you know, me and Ron, we're going to take a trip to Alaska. She goes, we're going we're gonna to spend some of your inheritance money. <laughs> you know what I said to her? You can spend it all. 
You can spend every single dime. I don't want your money, Mom. I said, I don't love you because you're going to give me any money when you die. I'd rather see you guys enjoy your life, enjoy your retirement, and go see things. Amen? And see, see, we get this distorted mindset in this realm of the flesh that we need to let go of. And Paul's just trying to tell us we've got to have the right mindset if we really want joy. So the second aspect that we're going to talk about in our text here is the profit and loss of a heavenly mindset, because Paul makes this comparison in our chapter 3 here. Basically, a relationship with Jesus will bring us a heavenly profit, and yes, there is profit and loss with a relationship with Jesus. And, and you can look at it you know, many different ways, but Paul tells us very clearly that when he accepted Jesus, you got to read a lot of his books. This is kind of a compilation of all of his writings, but here's what he lost. When, when Paul found Jesus by faith, and he, and he let go of his belief system and, and basically religious works getting him to a connection with God, he lost his self-centered ego because all the things he did, he found out was kind of worthless. He lost his works-related mindset that he was going to get himself into heaven. He lost his so-called great credentials because he realized at that point that that doctorate degree that he had really didn't mean nothing. Are you with me? And that's kind of what he says here in our text anyways. And he goes on to say, he lost his prestigious standing with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, with the prominence of the religious sect of the day. He lost his honorable position in the Jewish synagogue. And with the loss of his honorable position in a Jewish synagogue, you know what else he lost? His paycheck. He lost his paycheck. Because he would get paid as being part of a Pharisee and part of the system. He would get paid to be a Pharisee. And, and, and Paul gave that up because he wanted what was truth. He wanted a heavenly mindset, not an earthly mindset. He also lost his way of life. He lost his financial security. He lost his home, and many of his friends became enemies to him. He lost respect in his career. He lost it all for the sake of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ personally. He lost his life so as to gain eternal life. Amen? And so there's this profit and loss thing here going on. And Paul says we need to know what it is and how to do it. And basically, what did he profit though? A personal relationship with Christ, participation in the resurrection from the dead, citizenship in heaven, his story being told in the Bible, a glorious life filled with divine purpose and meaning and joy in the journey of life as he talks about throughout the book. Some other things to highlight as I close are, he went on to say, heavenly mindset, that our relationship with Jesus is our real resume, by the way, for, of our journey of life for God. It's our connection with Jesus. There's kind of the BC, BC before Christ, and then there's AC after Christ. And we build this resume in our AC life because everything before Christ is forgiven, we're forgiven of our sin, but the AC part is when we're living for Jesus uh, and we're doing it with uh, unselfish motives. So secondly, he goes on. Thirdly, he says, our heavenly mindset and how we relate to Jesus makes a difference in the journey of life and joy. I've read a few books on joy in my life as a minister and pastor. And uh, one of the books I read is called The Joyful Christ by Cal Samra. He opens his book talking about his journey of life at 50 years old. His marriage had fallen apart. He was depressed. His health had deteriorated to the point he had, resigned. he had to resign his job in Michigan, and he had to move to Arizona by doctor's orders. He was jobless, skin and bones when he went to Arizona, in great emotional pain and physical pain. He said, I was full of bitterness, anger, and self-hatred, overcome by fear and doubt, he said. 
And one day the urge to stop the pain overwhelmed me so much that I went out and I bought some rope from the, uh, from the hardware store to hang myself. He said, but did you ever try to hang yourself in the desert? He said, I couldn't find a tree. He said, I found a whole bunch of cactuses. But he said, I started thinking about, you know, I got to throw the rope up over the end of the cactus, and then I'm going to swing into the, all the little prickly things before I die. And that will be rather painful. So he said, after two hours of contemplating, this was not a smart thing to do to hang yourself from a cactus. He decided to get in his car and drive. So he got in his car and he drive, and he actually was driving down the road, and he saw this monastery there. So he pulled into the monastery, and and in this monastery, which he, he, he discovered, he found a chapel. He went into the chapel, and he, he's just kind of sitting there in one of the pews, and, and he, he's, just, he, he's just at the end of himself. He says, I have no joy. I don't want to live. My, my life is miserable, and da-da-da-da. And he said, and, 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 and I'm just sitting there, and my head's down. And he said, all of a sudden, this, this Irish priest come in, and he starts cracking all these jokes. He starts cracking jokes to me. I'm like the guy that just about hung himself. And this guy's giving me all these jokes and wit and humor. And he said, he made me laugh. And then the guy invited me into his kitchen for dinner. And I went into his kitchen for dinner. And, and as I'm sitting there and we're laughing and he's telling these jokes and he's being, being witty and funny, he said, I looked up and I saw this picture of Jesus on the wall. And by the way, it's the one all the way on the left. And he says, and it's Jesus laughing. He said, all my life, I never realized Jesus laughed. I never realized Jesus had a sense of humor, he said. And he said, and something, it hit me. It hit me at that point that if I really wanted to find joy in life, if I really wanted to get through this hardship, then what I needed to do was accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior because it's in him that I discover what joy is. It, he says it's in uh, John 15, 11. I have told you this so that my own joy may be in you and your joy may be completed. And so he did that, and then he wrote his book, by the way, and it's all about humor. It's all about the joyful Christ, finding joy in the journey. And then that went on to touch a few other people. One of the guys that touched was the guy, Bruce, who played Jesus in the visual Bible of Matthew. And when he was asked to play Jesus in the visual Bible of Matthew, what hit him is, I needed to show a Jesus who was filled with laughter and humor and joy. Can you say amen to that? And so that's why if you watch that, he's always laughing and trying to be smiling in the movie in that whole series of visual Bible. And then the same was passed on to the Son of God series as well, that they didn't want to show a doomy, gloomy Jesus. They wanted to show a Jesus who was filled with joy because it's him, according to John, who gives us joy. Amen? And we want the joy he had as he went through his journey of life as well. Can you say amen with me? So I'm going to ask Ashley to come up at this time. As I wrap this up, and basically, I don't know about you, I don't know what's going on in your life, I don't know what's happening, but, you know, I, I want you to read that verse again. It says, I have told you this so that my own joy may be in you, Jesus said, and your joy may be complete. And I'm just praying that your joy is complete this year in 2019. I pray that you find it, you discover it. I pray that you cultivate it. I pray you put yourself in a position to find it. I pray that you focus on the heavenly mindset and not the, what I call earthly mindset, but that you really find what's really necessary here in life. So let's stand. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you as we explore Philippians chapter three, that we can find joy in a journey. And Lord, I pray you'd help us find that joy in a journey today, Lord. 
I pray that those that are searching for it and looking for it would find it today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help them discover and laugh this week, Lord. I pray that you would just reveal to them that it's you that gives us the joy that we need to make it through. It's you that helps us be able to laugh in the midst of the tragedies of life and the hardships of life. And so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here today and do that. And, Lord, we ask this in your precious name. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're looking for joy and if you need prayer today, my wife and I and a prayer team will be down front. I know we prayed about this last week, but I continue to challenge you. Read the book of Philippians. If you want joy, ask God to give you that joy. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a safe journey home. Thanks for coming out today. God bless.